0: The truth in my days podcast where we defend the word of god against the challenges of men
1: good afternoon everyone welcome to another day of the truth in my days apologetics program my name is moses and i'm here with john director of truth in my days ministries our topic today is answering the claims that there are scientific errors in the bible last time we looked at the claim that the earth is in a fixed position in space and is at the center of the universe After answering that question we moved on to zoology. Skeptics claim that the Bible mistakenly calls the bat a bird. We started to look at that claim and noted that there are differences in how Hebrew describes birds and how English does. Today we will complete that and move on to the next claim. Hope you enjoy.
2: Generally uh, as translated into English the Hebrews recognize cattle beasts of the field, creeping things, swarming creatures, fish of the sea, and birds of the air. And again, they're perfectly uh, within their rights to do it that way. Uh, But this means then that their classifications do not correspond precisely to our classifications. Uh, The Hebrew word sheretz, for example, which is translated as creeping thing, uh, includes both reptiles and insects, because the Hebrews were more interested in what these creatures did rather than the internal structure. So reptiles, lizards, snakes, and insects as well creep along the ground. So they classified them both as sherets, creeping things. Uh, With that understanding now, that they have their own classification system, and you have to look, if you want an actual error, it has to be in the original language. If we go back to Leviticus 11.13, it doesn't say, these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. What it actually says is, these you shall regard as an abomination among the ufh. Uh, of being the Hebrew word there. It shall not be eaten. What does the word of mean? Well, literally, it means the owner of a wing. And we usually do translate it as bird because of all our English terms, single terms, that's the one that comes closest to covering the same semantic range as the Hebrew word of. But it's not an exact overlap. And, and you have that uh, problem anytime you're translating from one language to another. Uh, the noun often does not exactly match. Uh, include everything in the noun that you pick in the target language, as in the source language. Uh, Hebrew, Ulf, yes, we translate English as bird, but it's not an exact overlap. All that's required to be in the category of Ulf is to be the owner of a wing and, and not fitting into the uh, insect category, the sharetz category. Uh, the bat is definitely not a bird, but the bat is an Ulf. And that is what the God-breathed Hebrew text says. It says the bat is an Ulf. And that's why, folks, there is no error here. Here's the problem, that uh, we didn't translate it exactly, and in so doing, we created an error in the English Bible. That's not there in the original Hebrew.
1: That is fascinating. I think if I recall correctly, you did bring this up in one of your debates with Tony Costa, well, actually, the one debate, and it was a really good point that you made at that point of time. Thank you for reminding me. I uh, love to have this in my arsenal of knowledge. Is it... Uh, the same Is it the same sort of thing regarding whales and fish? The skeptics say in the Old Testament, Jonah said to be swallowed by a great fish. But in the New Testament, he is swallowed by a whale. And a whale is a mammal, not a fish. Is it the exact same thing as we discussed with the bat?
2: Uh, it's pretty much the same sort of thing. But actually, this particular attack is obsolete. Uh, it's really based on the translations in the Old King James Version. In Jonah 1 and 2, uh, we read that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, which in Hebrew is a dag gadol. Uh, whereas in Matthew 12, 40, the King James Version reads, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, but no modern translation actually has whale in Matthew twelve forty. The Greek word here is ketos. And yes, we get the English Cetology from that. Cetology being the study of whales, dolphins, and porpoises. But Ketos really means uh, sea monster uh, in the sense of any large and scary aquatic creature. So Ketos would include great fish, such as the great white shark, or a mammal such as a killer whale, or an invertebrate such as a giant squid or an octopus. Uh, So the great fish that swallowed Jonah And if I had had to guess what it was, I'd go with a great white shark here. It certainly is within the meaning of Ketos in Matthew 12, 40. So there's no
1: problem here at all. Wow, John, the more balls I throw at you, the more you hit them out of the park. So then let me throw another fastball at you. What about the insects walking on four legs? In the same chapter, Leviticus 11 goes on to give rules about which insects can be eaten. And it says, all flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat: of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, those which have joint legs above their feet, with which leap on the earth, these you may eat. The locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, the grasshopper after its kind, but all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. Now we know that the insects have six legs, not four, and that they do not creep on all fours. Is this not an error? This surely must be it. Don't apologists have trouble with this one?
2: Well, if you survey their answers, yes, it is hard to find a good answer from them. Uh, One writes this, for example, in his answer, says the Bible uses the casual, imprecise language of everyday life, not that of empirical science, The Bible is conveying broader moral and philosophical ideas rather than the minutiae of zoology. The phrase walk on all fours is just a colloquial expression, not a scientific one. But I don't actually like that answer at all, because the apologist here seems to just admit that the Bible is making an error, but don't worry about it. It's not a big deal, but it is an error, uh, according to this approach. But in fact, it's not an error.
1: That troubles me quite a bit, actually, that specific answer, because ultimately, if God is the author of the Bible, and he's the one who breathed, God breathed the Bible, then I don't know, that answer doesn't fly with me, ironically, in this case. So how do we answer that question?
2: Okay, remember in the case of the bat and the bird, I pointed out that the English is more precise here than the Hebrew is. Hebrew has a term, that would encompass both what we call birds and bats. And mm-hmm. the English is more precise. This one about the insects is actually one of those cases where the Hebrew is more precise than the English.
1: How so? Can you tell me a little more about that?
2: Uh, okay, let me ask you a question How many legs does an octopus have?
1: Is that a curveball? Eight, of course, isn't it?
2: Well, that, that's the answer most everyone would give. Okay. Eight. But technically, it's not correct. Uh, in the year 2008, uh, some 13 years ago now, almost 13 years ago, scientists in 20 sea life centers across Europe pulled their observations and released a study that claimed that, in fact, an octopus has only two legs, uh, the two back limbs, which they use to propel themselves along the ground. Uh, the other six limbs, they don't use to, for locomotion at all. They use them for eating. And the scientists say, therefore, they should be considered arms, not legs. Uh, Now, we noticed, finally, after all this time, a difference in functionality among the limbs of the octopus. So instead of having eight legs or eight arms, it actually has two legs and six arms, based on what they do, what they use the limbs for, uh, although we still use the same term for all limbs. But in Hebrew, they didn't do that. They actually use different names for limbs based on their function uh, hebrew distinguishes between the two large back legs on these insects these two large back legs are used for leaping they distinguish between those and the other four which the insect uses for walking dragging itself along the ground when it's not jumping and we know they're distinguishing between the two uh, because they actually have different words for them this is a case where they have more specificity in the words they use than we do uh, the legs above the feet the ones that are used for leaping, they call kera. And the other four, the ones that are used for walking or creeping, are, they call regel? So insects, uh, in fact, have four regel for walking and two kera for leaping. Six limbs in total, which we call six legs. But Leviticus describes insects that creep on four regel, speaking only of the four they use for moving along the ground. And that's exactly correct. Correct and more precise. Than our designation of insects having six legs.
1: Wow. Well, wow, actually, because my biggest worry was if human observations could not be right by the Bible, then what else it could be wrong on, right? So I am glad you cleared that one up for me. So then my, I guess, another question then, uh, might as well, since we're going for all the answers here at this point, uh, what about the rabbits showing the cud? They don't do that, do they?
2: Uh, once again, as we define chewing cud, no, they don't. Okay, But once again, you have to look at what is the Hebrew actually saying. Uh, the Hebrew expression that we translate as chewing the cud uh, simply refers to, quote, raising up what has been swallowed, unquote. Okay? you know that that cows and other ruminants do that. They have four stomachs. Uh, they, they chew the grass. They swallow it. It, it gets partly digested in in the one stomach and then it's regurgitated up into the mouth and the cow chews it again and then swallows it again. So it's basically chewing through the same lump of food multiple times to extract the maximum nutrients from it. And that's chewing the cud. Rabbits do the same thing, raising up what has been swallowed, uh, but in a different way, in a different way from ruminants like cows. Uh, With the rabbit, that partly digested food, which in ruminants would be in one stomach regurgitated to be chewed again, uh, in rabbits, the food is actually partly digested in a pouch in the large intestine, not in a stomach. And it's expelled not back up the throat, but out the other end of the rabbit uh, as a special pellet called the cecotrope. And then the rabbit will actually pick that up off the ground with its mouth and rechew it to gain more nutrients. Uh, Now, uh, here in English, we're more precise. We call that process refection instead of rumination. Whereas here, the Hebrew expression seems to be broad enough to cover both actions instead of making up separate words for them. And so once again, it seems the skeptics are wrong.
1: That seems to be a common theme of today. So, wait, just wanted to clarify do rabbits eat their poop?
2: Uh, no, actually, that's, that's what's called coprophagy. They're animals that do that, dogs do that. But the cecotrope that comes out that's only partly digested in, in that sac in the intestine is not feces. It's actually, it's, it's, it's only partly digested, it's mostly still nutrient. And the rabbit will not eat its own, uh, its own feces, it will eat these cecotropes. Eventually it goes through, once it's, it's extracted all the nutrients, it comes out in a different form, which is actually a, a feces. And the rabbit will not
1: eat that. Wow. And the rabbit recognizes the difference? Yes. Wow. God made them. Wow. God made them intelligent. That is actually. Well, yes.
2: I, I think it's instinctive. I'm not sure you'd call it intelligence. Maybe they just tell by the smell. Who knows? right?
1: Well, I guess God programmed them that way in some ways, yes. I guess.
2: Yes. That I is come with system software.
1: That is really cool either way, Um, for me at least, I never knew that. So then- Do not try this at home. (laughs) That's a good advice. Please, folks, do not try this at home. John, looks like we've run out of time today. Thank you so much again. I love what we've learned and I hope the audience has learned a lot. Uh, Look forward to the next program.
0: Thanks, John. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you.